You always, oh, good morning. See, you always do that to no, me. No, you oh, always do morning. that to me. I was putting my key out of my pocket, you know. So good morning and good welcome morning. to your Daily Game Face. It's Wednesday, May 6th. Happy post Cinco, I call it Cinco de Clinco day. Cinco, Cinco de Clinco, Clinco you oh, know, yeah. clinking the glasses. Yeah. Cinco de Mayo day, um, and it's 9.45 a.m., and I am here with my lovely producer, Lou Blasey, <laughs> and we are talking today about hopefully a few topics. Um, you know, we did talk a little bit about addiction last week, and yeah. um, certainly going to continue that just a teeny little bit, just talking more about some of the softer addictions that people wanted us to talk about last week, and then also talking about some of the new changes in the psychology behind, you know, sort of uh, in Massachusetts, at least, we're going another two weeks. We've had some new uh, things put into place that impact people's mental health, Yep. Um, certainly that, and then sort of the underpinnings of maybe some of the anxiety that goes along with, you know, finances kids at home um you know this past week i've seen yeah. a lot of kids really struggling more at home because now there's more boredom setting in because right. there's only so many times you can do facetime play dates and so on and so forth plus we get two or three good days yes and that's really putting some strain on this whole situation right yeah. and and people wanting to be out mm -hmm. um so a couple things first it is national nurses day and my lovely cousin amongst many friends of mine are nurses and they are on the front lines and i wanted to take a moment to thank them for all the work they do. My cousin Heather Lannon is a, an oncology nurse yeah. and she works with basically saving people's lives every day doing chemo and radiation and other treatments and and she has some COVID uh, patients at the same time. So it's like a, a combined <laughs> double whammy at the same time and she's doing an amazing yeah. job and I just want to say thank you. How good are nurses, you. huh? You what? How good are nurses, huh? I mean, how, how, I mean especially like in oncology. Right. Uh, my sister is an RN. You know, uh, nursing homes, basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the job these people do? Are you kidding me? Yeah, well, and that's the thing is, you know, nurses, I find that nurses often get a bad rap, you know, because, you know, they're not the doctor. And so, but in fact, nurses spend more time with yeah. any patient than any person at all. Um, you know, if you go to any hospital right now from you know, what I've seen and also from anecdotal evidence from clients that are nurses that are talking to me about it, you know, there's four to five nurses in teams that spend all their time with one or two patients yep. that are selected for them all day long for 12 hour shifts. Yeah. That's a long time to spend with someone and hopefully have them survive and they get them better. And if not, that's a lot of loss as well. Or you can be in the position like my, my cousin's in and she's on a, you know, an outpatient treatment of oncology every day, plus having people that are sick in and out at the same time in addition to that. And you've got that going on. And it's just yep. amazing how um, there's so much work that gets done and they get so under-recognized. And it's such a broad band of work. It's uh, doctors come in, they do prescriptions, they, you know, read x-rays, right. they uh, put the plan together, but the nurses are executing the plan right. and they're taking care of the mental health to a right. large degree. I mean, they've got, they've got the whole burden. They do. And, it, and it, more so it, than the families in most cases. Yeah, well, because they're there. They yeah. see everything. They're experiencing the whole event. They're doing all of it all the time. You know, it's it's I yep. think that's the right, you know, the execution of the whole plan is 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 really there. And it's true because, you know, you might not see a doctor for six days at a time yep. or they might be just checking out or the nurses calling them. But, you know, the you know, I've had many, a, many a conversation with my cousin and other nurse friends and other clients about 
how much stress and strain yeah. is on them that they have to come in every day being positive and and compassionate and not yeah. lose their empathy and trying to help families you know they're not just taking care of the the patient themselves they're also taking care of the family and right. you know especially when they're on the covid floors that they can't actually have any contact with family and so you know they're trying to arrange facetime calls and be able to be the liaison between the family and the yeah. person and, and when they're passing or something like that i mean it's super hard and um and i'm guessing they take the brunt of the psychological impact because right. i'm guessing most patients shield their families yeah. yeah, and 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 that's and the psychological piece. We you know we were talking about this yesterday. Some colleagues and myself about just the the post traumatic stress that's going to come from the continuous chronic nature of watching and that you know anticipatory talk about threat generation right yeah. the anticipatory anxiety that keeps coming up for people nurses that you know. will this one survive? Will this one make it? What will be the new thing? How will I make this work? Um, You know, just another one. It's just endless. And, and, you know, and it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And I just hear the stories all the time about this now. And, and, you know, there's some, there's some little bit of sort of people have gotten in the groove now, but it's still, it's kind of being like at war, you know, we've likened it to, you know, you, if you, you had one day at war, but now you're on day 50 you know the bombs dropping don't sound as loud anymore right, the, yeah. the explosion in your face yeah. oh that's just you know yeah, a little you, bomb you, you know it's just yeah. it's just become so diffuse for them and and that's just you know that's you know with anything that you get accustomed to um but yeah that, it's huge and i imagine that after you know a lot of time passing there's some relief hopefully coming that people will be in that position i'm certainly getting lots of uh, calls and, and emails and people asking for, you know, additional support around that, um, like I've never seen before. Yeah. Um, and that's good because at least people are acknowledging it and reaching out. And I know there's there's people acknowledging it in hospitals and certainly doing that work, um, you know, because people, you know, I always say that after this is all over and I do that, I'm going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I mean, there's, you know, mental health workers also, um, not to, to – preach about myself here but we i mean yeah. we're, we're front line yep. but no one's really thinking about it in the same way because we're not we're not necessarily hands-on on somebody covid but right. we, you know in hospitals people are you know the social workers the case managers all the mental health staff that are there are treating you know the families of the members of the, that are there plus the, the the person who's there plus the nursing or the doctor staff to provide support plus you know so it's all there and then people on the outpatient side like I am in private practice I'm dealing with that all the time all day yeah. and when I'm not in the office I'm getting I'm fielding calls all the time and and all that so it's it's never ending and people I don't think realize that maybe I don't maybe I just don't I'm not aware of it but I'm kind of surprised that there isn't more in terms of in hospital and in facility um counseling that that's available for for staffs on a 24/7 basis yeah well I mean so there's are, are they doing it or some facilities so doing it? I, I would say, just from experience, you know, not necessarily anything like, you know, clinical research-wise, but my experience is that there's some, but it's limited. Um, There may be, I know, well, I shouldn't say there may be, there is a little bit more in a couple of the hospitals that I have um, consulting with, but there are also hospitals that lean more towards providing that type of care anyway, so they have those particulars about them. Um, But by and large, 
it's kind of the staff that's there for psych is there for the patients yeah. and they're really not there for anyone else. Not that they can't be utilized, but they're underutilized in that way because they're not. No, but there should be a consistent program where right. you can just go and lay some stuff down for a while, right. especially with the types of hours and shifts that these people are working, you know? Exactly. Well, and you imagine, so, so compassion fatigue, you would think that that's a big piece of, you know, work that needs to be done in any kind of hospital, whether it's during a pandemic or just yeah. kind of everyday things. Right. Um, you know, back a few, you know, probably 10 episodes ago, we were, I was going to talk a little bit about some of the work I do with, you know, veterinarians and compassion fatigue for, for animal loss and, yeah. and working with, you know, long-term care of, of, of behavior and human bond to animal bond and all that. It's, it's the same thing. And, and actually there's much more providership in, veterinary settings or sanctuaries or humanitarian efforts around that right now that I probably imagine there is in hospitals yeah. as a rule. It's almost least, worse, isn't it? It's what? It's almost worse, the loss of a pet. Oh, it, well, it is because yeah. you have, you. Ha I mean, from the psychological perspective for many people, uh, it's very well documented about the human-animal bond and how, you know, it's it, it's got many factors that human-human bond do not have, you know, right. unconditional love. Right. They're true unconditional love. That's I mean, that's probably one of the only places you really find it. Humans can talk about it, but at the end of the day, do they really have that? Right. Yeah. You know, um, but human to animal bond has that. The amazing space that an animal personality, love, kindness, yeah. compassion, all the things it offers fills the spaces of all the things that we've talked about over the past, you know, couple months that people, you know, the reason why people eat or the reason why people use drugs and alcohol, people why, you know, why they don't get into relationships, they fill the void with their, yeah. their dog, their cat, their bird, their snake, their peacock, <laughs> you know, it depends on what they've got, got you know, peacock you know their iguana, yeah. you know, just whatever. But, it, but it you is... take on a responsibility for the pet, first of all, that you don't with another human. Right. Secondly, the pet isn't aware of what's going on. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's an un... And there's that fear, you know, we talk about our fears, but right. even those, the most overcome by fear, rationalize it to an extent and protect themselves to an extent. An right. animal just feels base fear. Right. You know, they have no way to... To know what's going on, right? Like to that. calm themselves, or right. I mean, they, I mean, there's there's something to be said for the sentient nature of of cats and dogs. I mean, there is that because they detect things and they understand. They certainly pick up on our, our feelings, but they don't know how obviously to identify that there's right. this thing going on. But they certainly know, and that's why they can bond with you or you know caretake for you so many times. And that's why they provide such a um, a wonderful outlet for people like for animal therapy you know like that's part of this you know service i provide when people come in they have the option of having one of my five cats well i should say one of four because one's a little crazy yep. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little crazy um but he does come down for people that really like a more spunky fun yep. you know silly kitty um but you know just the the soothing nature and the feeling of calm and that that feeling between a person and yep. and an animal that you can't give in the same way. Yep. You know, so, um, but going back to, you know, the nursing and mental health workers, what, it, you know, what an important piece of work that people do. I mean, I, I just think that people should be recognized. I mean, I don't, I actually don't hear a lot of doctors being kudoed either, you know, as a general rule. So, you know, the doctors out there are doing great stuff as well, but you just, you just know that nurses and, and people on the front line like that are so... And not to diminish doctors. Right. I'm not trying to diminish doctors, but right. they have a different uh, relationship with this whole process. Right. Where they're um, forced by necessity to be right. more clinical. 
Right. Plus, they can be more detached. They're seeing a patient, like as you said, once every six days right. for five minutes, right. if at all, just saying hi. Right. And then just writing out, you know, whatever needs to be done. Right. The patient, and they have to, to function, to be kind of clinical about it. Right. And their relationship with the patient allows them to be. Nurses right. in there every day. You're having a conversation with a, a woman suffering from cancer at one in the morning. Right. Because she's having, you know, she's having some kind of problem. Right. That's a whole different relationship with totally. the patient than the doctor has. Exactly. And and I think and I think that's where a big differentiation is in terms of like the just the mental health of a nurse versus the doctor, yeah. not to say that they're they're, you know, not both experiencing, but they're very right. different in that way. Um, and, and some doctors are clearly right in there with a nurse like that because they're just much more yeah. hands on. But by and large, my experience and, and from what I'm also hearing from other people, I mean, there's sort of a protocol in a lot of hospitals um, you know, it's certainly across Boston because I have a lot of nursing and clinical people that come to me for, yeah. you know, debrief on this stuff. And um, the report is is more that often than not because they the the containment of trying to keep like PPEs to you know, not to be overused, not to run out. Right. You know, making sure that if a doctor really needs to suit up because they have to do something that a nurse can't, they have to keep them on the outside versus you know the four nurses that go in. So there's a standard protocol that right. makes it the access point for someone with the with the issues going on more leaning towards being with yeah. nurses than a doctor. So, yeah. but hey, it's it's a lot of work. That's all I know is there's a lot oh, yeah. of a lot of time being spent and and it's. It's a lot, and it's exhausting. I'm tired at the end of a day, and I see anywhere from 12 to 15 patients a day currently. And I, I called it Zoom next la last week. I have because I see some. I'm still seeing some people in person, yep. and then some people. I'm you know depending on kind of the situation. And the more Zoom I'm doing, I have to get a new camera or something because my neck. <laughs> I, had to, I had to go see my own um, chiropractor this week yeah. because I had Zoom neck. That's what I'm calling it. It's. You know the the standard. Keep looking forward because right. I don't. Ha I have to get a wider angle camera and yep. you know to make my own mental health okay because now I'm getting like the stiff neck from yep. Zoom. <laughs> yeah, trying to keep a posture going. Yeah, exactly. So so aside from saying thank you to the nurses, um, also I wanted to do a quick shout out. I have some listeners that have been. Uh, it's nice to hear and thank you everybody for listening and being part of wanting to have a happier, healthy life. Um, but I've had some listeners send me some lovely things after hearing about, you know, you know, healthy lifestyles and stuff. I, and I had a, um, a person that heard my show last week and talking about good eating and, yep. and she made these amazing protein bars and she dropped them off at my office she in made Bedford. Them? And they were amazing. And she made them. She she made them. Nice. Yeah. She and she had made like a whole set, and she froze them, and she and she told me what was in them, and she made this beautiful little bag for them. I was like, hey, so thank you so much for thinking of me and bringing me little protein bars made by hand that had. This is what I have to look into because I'm buying them by the box now. Oh. And I'm out. You chastised me for my. Crackers and well, because that's not butter. good I for know. you. That thing you've got over there. I know, but I'm out of them, and I don't want to go to the grocery store because that's a whole thing now. Well, I'll give you the recipe for a good yeah. one, and yeah. then you can buy the ingredients. Yep. And they're really easy to make, and you can put them in the freezer. Sure. So Sounds we can great. have a whole show on the yeah. on the good the good uh, protein bar making. <laughs> they're pretty easy. So, but yeah. So, but thank you to the people that have actually. Um, 
taken care of me on some level here and there and, and thought nice things and have put together some, the, the person actually not only did the protein bars, but she freeze dried um, apple chips and banana chips for me. And she made wow. homemade salsa and she brought me this really cute little um, bag full of stuff and it was really sweet. So nice. that was nice. So, yeah. you, so it's once in a while you get a little... Thank you, and that's everything it. going on. And this person's taking time out yeah. of the day to Matt, and coming to feed from you. New Hampshire yeah. to bring it to me. <laughs> so I was very. Oh, she made the trip just to bring it. Yeah, nice. So it was really sweet of her to do that. So I really, really thank her. Um, anyway, um, oh, so and then Peter, Peter just chimed in. Um, yes, that was Peter. So I'm answering his question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter knows this person. Yeah. So um, yes. So, Peter, make sure you let her know that I I gave her a shout-out on the air. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, going back to what we were talking about a little bit last week, addiction. Yeah. And talking more about um, people were very interested in that but wanted really more to talk about the other ones you were saying, you yeah. know, like We were shopping. talking opiates, the, what we traditionally think of addiction. But right. But there are a lot of, I don't know, I call them soft addictions. Is that a fair term? Yeah, well, they're just, yeah because people. I, I mean, that's a. I mean, I think that's a good identifier. Yeah. They're they're the same in terms of where they are in the brain. They're the yep. same actuation. They have the same um, manifestation. There's nothing different in terms of the ph- physiology right. and the ki- kinetics of them, but just kind of where they come from. Um, well, not where they come from, because they come from similar places as the harder addictions, but uh, just the way they manifest is probably a little bit different. Obviously, you know, shopping, exercising eating, um, gambling, uh, sex addiction, they all are rooted in what you would consider the heart addiction route. They just come out in those ways instead of the things that might kill you. Why why are addictions always bad things? Although I suppose some people get addicted to running. They get addicted to working out. Well, yeah. I mean, so there's there's the continuum, right? So you could could imagine that if you talk about... when we talk about addiction in psych, it's all about whether it's on the continuum of how it impacts your functioning. Hmm. Do you go through withdrawal if you don't have the thing to do or if there's a level of tolerance, you know, so yeah. or, and, or all of those factors. So, you know, if you're, if you're shopping and you're running out of money every paycheck within two days of getting your paycheck and you have nothing left, that's probably a problem. Yeah. Um, and then you're, you know, or you're stealing from your family to get more money to do more shopping. Or, you know, I have, I've had clients that um, have multiple, you know, poly addicted, so they're multiply addicted. So they, you know, they'll go to a store, buy something, um, and, and they'll do like switch and bait with their tags and then they because they don't want to spend that much money because they need more money back and then right. they'll go back and return it for more money like there you know it's a process that it's like wow that's yeah. you know it's pretty sophisticated because they're feeding the chase of the 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 high of the excitement right. of doing it and it's really dependent on each of the types so not all addictions are bad it's just that it's the where on the continuum do they go um and it's usually the, one of the first gauges i've put on it is how much is impacting someone's functioning. So if you're running all the time and you are anorexic and you're not eating, yeah. probably we've got a problem that's, you know, not just, you know, right. oh, it's healthy for you. Yeah. You know, certainly there's not a, a gap stop. And because the endorphin rush that you get from running or exercise over and over and over again, you can't really beat that once that starts happening. It's a, it's an amazing feeling, um, but it's about do you have the shutoff valve to be able to stop it? 
And there are a couple of different varieties here, which is interesting. First of all, there's uh, genetic predisposition. Yeah. Some of it's physiological. Yes. Some of it's psychological. And you were just talking about the endorphins of working out. We talked about opioid addiction last week. Right. And that transfers from uh, enjoying the activity to uh, using not to get sick. Right. Your, your motivation changes. Doesn't right. necessarily motivate. Motivation doesn't necessarily change with a lot of addictions, like you're talking about shopping and working right. out. You know, it's not a matter of I'm doing it not to get sick. Just right. like I still like it. Well, yeah. so that's actually I could say that's not really true mm -hmm. because you're thinking sick as in like you know when an opiate you're going to throw up or you're going to go through shakes yeah. and withdrawal right and that way, but when you're thinking the other addictions, people's anxiety comes up and they have massive panic attacks and oh, they you know yeah. people can go into having strokes if they feel so anxious i mean so on that level it can go to that that side because some people's panic gets so bad um if they can't feed the addiction so they're doing that, it to avoid the state of mind of right of not doing the activity right so it's yeah. it's the chase of going into the store and buying more and buying more and buying more and then coming back feeling fulfilled and then they go back and return it only to then buy more. That's all in an effort to keep the anxiety yeah. at bay and without a replacement behavior. And, and, you know, I have had several clients with, you know, shopping addictions. And to get that to, to you know, sometimes I think it's easier to stop someone with drug use than it is for like shopping really? and eating, yeah. right? Because, you know, shopping and eating are more socially acceptable. Right. So people, you know, you can sort of hide that and sneak that more. And it's, you know, you can justify it in a different yeah. way than you can. So there's a little yeah. bit different psychological uh, mechanism around it that's a, is, is, you know, quite interesting when you hear, especially different people talk about it. You know, it's the same addiction, you know, but their justification yeah. or reasoning why is, is, Smoking you know. and alcohol as opposed to opioids. So it's illegal. Right. It's legal, right? Right. You know, people just pass it off. It's illegal. It's legal. I'm it's, just doing right. it. Right. Yeah. And and if you think of like um like Gambling. shopping, we'll yeah. we'll take a shopping example of shopping addiction leads to hoarding many times. So you've got an ang underlying person's anxiety, and that then sits. You know, it comes up through childhood, and you know they have. So you have the genetic piece. You have a modeling piece, maybe of parents who also have hoarded or have some kind of pack ratting or something like that. Also, right. maybe some anxiety in the family, and then showing that modeling. Now you become an adult. You have your own place, and all of a sudden, in the case of one of my clients, massive loss, death of the husband, and now. They always had a little bit of that, but the husband wasn't like that, so it kind of had a nice balance, which is what you find when people have oh, addiction yeah. issues. If there's a balance, they don't yeah. kind of leak out as bad. So the blindness once are that off happens, at this point. It yeah. triggers it, and now we're in full-blown um, hoarding home situations where the addiction to filling the loss and the void yeah. is also filling the loss and the void of whatever was missing in childhood. Now we've got to leap over and then... Now it's coming yeah. out more, and it's to fulfill the loss. I mean, if you ever watch um, Hoarders on TV, um, that show very specifically always goes towards showing the psychological impact of time and again, without fail, the person having some real empty loss space for you know some connection in life or something that happens that exacerbates and triggers yeah. that feeling of anxiety that has to be replaced with things and letting go of a thing is like letting go of that person yeah. and it's and the person that's the hoarder doesn't make the connection fully they do but they don't so you can see it if you ever go and watch one of those episodes you can see the when the psychologist is talking the pain 
when they bring up that the connection is there, you can see sometimes people are really receptive and they want it, they want to get through that, but sometimes it's that's when you see that part of the show that the person's like, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm I I yeah. don't need this, I can't let go of that. And you know, they get half the house unloaded and all of a sudden, you know, the person shuts it down because they're watching you know, their husband die again, essentially. Right. Everything's oh, going out because yeah. they don't know how to hold their memory because the thing represents the memory or the hundred things represent right. the memory. Yeah. You know, they don't want to give, they don't want to keep one book. They want to keep all 500 of the books, but they're never going to read them. Right. And it's the, and the, the psychology of getting past that is really hard because it's, it's just like being addicted to heroin. It's, it's the holding on in the, the, the psychological bounding of having all those pieces there right. and so although they you know you, you use but that why term doesn't soft that, but why they're actually that, very embedded why doesn't that untangle easily though once you, once you become aware that you're substituting the person that the loss of the person for this object that you're hanging on to you would think that would be something that would unravel rather quickly well you would think that but people hang on to what they know and and like previous times we've talked about people will hang on to um this is the only representation, therefore I know it now, but I don't know what to replace it with. And the fear, right, talk about threat generator, yeah. the fear of what I don't know, the fear of what my whole house would look like empty, the fear of all those things that I haven't really thought of, but I know that are there. So the unraveling should should come, but it doesn't because the person holds so tightly to the concept of this is who I am. It's my identity. Yeah. And that's so scary to let go of, especially if you, you know, you've been doing that for 50 years or 40 years or even more yeah. to let go of that. So on surface, it would look, you know, if you are on the outside of it, in which I sit on the outside of these many times and I say, you know, just throw it away, yeah. just get rid of it. But it was interesting. I don't have that piece to it. So yeah. for that person, I have to step back and go throwing it away is like, throwing away part of my hand it's like that's never coming back in their mind and that's so scary for a person like that so although it could unravel really quickly you know i call it unpacking the bag and being able to pack it back in yeah you have to be able to unpack the suitcase that's overflowing but able to pack it back in so it fits all neatly and it's super hard and yeah. it takes a lot of time and it takes buy-in from the the client or the person that has it to say i trust you to not abandon me. I trust you to not detach from me if I'm going to do this because there's, you know, that's why treatment works in that is that you have to have a bond with the client so they trust that you're not going to do what happened to them. You know, oftentimes it's not, oftentimes it's not necessarily a death, but oftentimes it's a, it's a divorce, but preceding the divorce, it was someone cheated on them and preceding the cheating, it was um, a mother or father's relationship growing up that was poor, that had cheating yeah. or divorce. And then before that, it was someone in childhood that abandoned them. So, I mean, the roots are really right. strong. So you have to be able to unravel all the way back. People don't like to look at that because it's painful, not because they don't want to necessarily get rid yeah. of it, but it's just they don't want to look at it because it's super painful. You could do that. You can say that for eating. Eating's the same way. People love to stuff down their emotions with food. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing. You could go through the same unraveling all the way back through, you know, and oftentimes now using a reference to, you know, my 600-pound life, if you've ever watched that show, great examples of psychological um, treatment and manifestation of trauma over time. Most people who have obesity issues due to overeating or emotional eating, it's not because of, you know, 
thyroid. Now, I hear people in the background already going, that's not true. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, there's medical reasons, yeah. obviously, on some of these kind of patients. But by and large, psychologically, is the reasoning behind that. So it, sometimes it's both. But more often than not, it's the psychological underpinning of someone having some type of trauma emotionally or sexual trauma or physical trauma and then feeling abandoned or detached some way and then more likely having that come out. Now, you know, those are the extreme examples. Now, you wonder why we have such an increase of um, childhood obesity in the country. Well... I mean, there's multiple factors, and they would be considered psychological factors in the fact that, you know, as much as parents are are loving and well-meaning, you know, when you reward a child with food for every good thing that they do, that becomes their reward for themselves, that every time they do something good, I'm going to have an ice cream, I'm going to have dessert, I'm going to have this. Today, you know, I I make a joke with a couple of my friends that any day that ends in Y is a reason to have a pie. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You know, so... And 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 then people teach their kids to do that unwittingly, unknowingly, because it's what they do, and therefore yeah. it's it's you know in a lot of ways it's psychological neglect because you're not paying attention to the fact that you're teaching your kid that soothing comes through food. I don't and, even think it's always active. Sometimes it's passive. Psychological psychological neglect is a good term because kids are big on instant gratification. Yes. So they will go. Grab a bag of Doritos. Right. That's what they'll do because that's right. instant, instant gratification. And right. being unwilling, unable, or not just not governing that right. leads to you know bad patterns and bad behaviors. Right. And 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 the examples that I have had over the twenty four years of doing this, and I've and, and I've talked about you know food coming up through gymnastics and all that. It's it's so rooted in that that modeling piece of you know it's okay. Don't worry, you can have that. Or on the other side, it's you can't have that, you can't have that, you can't have that. So the child yeah. wants to have it. It like pulls them towards it. you know. But in the cases of you know childhood obesity and the addiction to eating and stuffing emotions, it's so much about that, you know, often a genetic pull. You know, and then a modeling of, you know, it's, you know, a child shouldn't eat a whole large pizza. Yeah. Right? But it's pizza night. So we're going to eat the whole pizza instead of it being, here's your two slices and here's, you know, carrot sticks and because that's more work and it's not just kids that have the instant gratification yeah. it's the adults as oh, well sure. yeah. and it's and it's instant gratification of i just want to get my kid fed and pass them off not because i don't love them but it's just easier yeah. you know oh i don't want to cook tonight let's go to mcdonald's not to knock mcdonald's Ugh, yeah. but yeah, you know no. you eat a big mac well there's a there's the whole entire calorie count for a day for a normal person yeah. but you have a big mac a fry a shake and a diet soda i always love that because you don't want the calories in the soda. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right? No sugar, right? 3, Keep the sugar down. calories in a meal, but yeah. we'll have a diet soda. And I, I remember when my kids were young, we did McDonald's once a year, shamrock yeah. shakes. That yep. was it. But it wasn't a big thing. We never said to them, never ever said to them, we're not going to, we're not going to McDonald's. We just didn't. Right. It just wasn't part of their circuit. Right. And, you know, I'm guessing there's some uh, intrinsic thing in my kids that allowed them to do this. But by the same token, it just wasn't part of their day. Right. You know, and it wasn't, it was never a big fight. It was never, right. you know, McDonald's is bad or anything like that. It's just like, no, just kept driving. And, and, and so that's because you gave the experience base of not having that. Like I didn't have that either. And a lot of people coming yeah. up through also, you know, McDonald's was far and few between or Wendy's. They were there, but they weren't, you know, yeah. that was something that you, you got as a treat once in a great while. Now I have clients, you know, that I have 
one client that has a young, young child. And if she doesn't get McDonald's, she loses her mind. Yeah. She's, you know, six years old and screaming that, you know, her life is basically over if well, she do doesn't you, get her chicken nuggets. <laughs> do you remember the mother who was suing McDonald's because for putting toys in the kids' meals? Yes. Because she couldn't keep her kid, her six-year-old? Yes. From wanting the kids' meals? It's like, right. wait a second. It's right. It's totally backwards. Right. And it's, yeah, it's you like, why are you saying You get a chance to say no. no. Yeah. Right. Why aren't you saying no? Right. Right. And and so you so more and more in the past, probably 15 years or so, I've seen more of that disempowerment of parent. Parents don't feel or don't think that they are the parent. And I actually I, I say that I'll say, who's the parent here when yeah. I'm with parents? And, oh, well, you know, God, obviously yeah. the answer is, well, me. And like, you know, you can say no. Right. Yes. But I don't want. And this is the answer. I don't want to have to deal with the reaction because eventually I'm going to give in because I can't take it anymore. And I'm like, well, in yeah. order to stop this, you're going to have to take it because this is what's been created because you have to say no. You know, talk about boundaries and limits yeah. and setting. I mean, setting someone up for addiction right there is you're becoming, there is no no. It's There's no shutoff valve. Right. There's no teaching that you have to wait or that's not good for you or this isn't healthy or it's just indulge, indulge, indulge. Which Delaying a denying gratification, right? Delaying right? a denying gratification. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and. That so going back to the you know the childhood obesity issue in this country that's been being tried to be addressed, I mean it's so hard because you have parents that are on the go and you have both people working and you have tight schedules and you have you know instant gratification. It's easier. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll give them a healthy meal then, you know. And people are in the. I believe it's a misnomer to think that healthy food is more expensive. At the end of the day, when you do it all out and you create healthy meals versus going to fast food, it's not more expensive. Oh, fast food, but no. People, yeah. Right, it's people, but people think that it is. I, can, I see families of four and five going and picking up McDonald's that I know in my clinical practice, you know, at least once or twice a week, and in my friend base. And you would think, fast food, you know, maybe $15, $20. They don't make it out of there for under $50, $60. Yeah. That's more than you have to pay for two nights of making a dinner that's like super, you know, like if you make prime rib, for you know, obviously. But if you just make, yeah. you know, a, a nice salad with, you know, lasagna or a nice salad, salad, keep saying salad, salad with something like chicken that's baked and it's a little rice, that's under $10 for an entire family. Yeah. But so, but it, people don't want to And it's not even the, the hamburger thing. It's not even the hamburger thing. You can go home and make a much better hamburger. Yes. For less money. Exactly. That's better for the kid than, you know, stopping at McDonald's. And I don't want to diss McDonald's, whatever you, whatever right. you want to do. But yeah, that was part of the thing for us. It was, first of all, why should they be eating McDonald's? Secondly, we got food at home. Right. <laughs> I know it sounds. But see, this is the problem because that's how I was raised. Yeah. And you, a lot of the problems we're seeing now are the second and third generation right. of this issue. In right. other words, how do you delay gratification for your kid when your gratification was never delayed? Right. You know? it, well, and that's and so that's yeah. the problem is that you're seeing that trickle down effect of when we were growing up. Sounds so weird to say that when we were growing up, we that was no was no. Yeah. And and now no, what I see in my practice is no is like well until I get you to break you down or yeah yeah sort of or I have you know those the tweeners that will tell me. Oh, it's not no, really. It's maybe because yeah. I'm going to do this, this, and this to get them to do that. And they'll tell me. Yep. And because I, the kid's one job, their survival yes. from birth is manipulating the parents. That, that's, that's, <laughs> well, that's their, an interesting that's their, Yes, well, that's one skill. Reading and manipulating the parents. That's their primary survival skill. And so by the time they get to be six, seven, eight, or nine, they're really good at it. Really, especially really when they don't have boundaries set yeah. or especially, you know, I mean, so 
so to go back to, you know, I don't know necessarily know if the skill would be manipulating, but it's a coping strategy to get what one needs when they haven't gotten it. So, you know, you got a one, two, three-year-old, when they cry, the parent keeps shoving the binky in their mouth. This is a, you know, a really yep. common problem is, you know, kind of where's the cutoff of putting a self-soother? You put a binky in a kid's mouth and they're still, two, you know, they're two and a half, three. That's a psychological maker of a problem because now you're not teaching a child how to self-soothe. You're teaching, you cry, I instantly gratify you, and now what's that going to look like when you're 13 right. or 15 or 20? That's going to look like a cigarette. That's going to look like um, pot. That's going to look like your first drink. That's going to look like sex in some way, yeah. you know, provocative behavior. I mean, that kind of is how it bears out time. And again, that's one of the predictors that we know as psychologists we can see is that you have a kid who gets, you know, weaned too early, that has problems, and you get a kid, so it's, you know, a kid that was too late, or it gives the self-soothing, you have a problem, and finding the balance. But Um, this gets us, this draws us right back into soft addictions, because what I see with kids a lot of times, and you can back this up if you think it's true, what I see with kids a lot of times is they are bored, Yes. And they're looking for the next, they want a gratification. Right. Sometimes it's a trip, sometimes it's a, you know, uh, just let's order out tonight. Yes. It's like, what are you, nuts? You know, yes. or or they come downstairs at 11 o'clock, let's get a pizza. Yes. It's like, you know, it's just they need that gratification right now. And it's and it's to fill a board space. It's, it's to fill you know, a board it, space. You have yeah. kids that, you know, <clears throat> um, they'll finish dinner and they're already thinking about dessert and they're already asking about dessert. And then when the dessert's over, they're talking about what breakfast is the next day. And I see that more and more. Um, not with all kids, but certain types of families that are, you know, there's there's certain characteristics of the families. They aren't maybe as active. They have, you know, less interaction doing, you know, certain things together um, or it's limited because the parents are busy. The kids are usually busy. Yeah. And when they have time together, it's really about like, okay, eat, 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 get out, you know, go away from each other. And, and there's not a lot of interconnected activity together. So it's what am I going to fulfill myself? And the point there is that they're missing they're missing interaction with their family. They're missing interaction yep. with their parent because they don't know how to fill their board downtime. And, the, you know, you see that a lot now. I've been seeing in the past couple of weeks, and we talked about this before the show, is oh God, yeah. I'm watching kids now, the settling of this time where everyone's been home, there's boredom, yep. loneliness. The Zoom calls aren't as frequent, or they are, but, you know, and 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 I'm, wa- and I'm also watching more and more parents allow their teenage or tweeners go out and meet, get in the cars and stuff like that because they just can't take the badgering that the kid's giving them anymore of like, I want to see my friends and you can't stop me. And, and the, I mean, the parents feel helpless um, because they haven't set a good boundary or the kid sneaks out and they don't know, um, you know, and there they are off to the races because the parent isn't interconnected with what's going on or providing like, okay, Tuesday night, we're going to do a movie night with all of us. Even if you have a 15 year old, you should be incorporating that or, you know, Wednesday nights, takeout night and it's the only night we're going to do takeout and then Thursday night we're going to all cook together and Friday night we're going to do painting like having something generating I mean certainly if everyone out there is listening about this you know go to Pinterest Pinterest is constantly putting up ideas for 
little kids, middle, yep. tweeners, families for teenage and on. You know, there's projects. And I know people are tired and they don't want to do all these projects. But, man, if it can keep, you know, an extra 5,000 calories out of your kid who's self-soothing that in 10 years they're not going to end up, you know, using, you know, oxycodone, that might be, you know, yeah. a reason. And, you know, there's people out there right now going, that's never going to happen. That doesn't happen. But it does. It does. And yeah. I can point blank tell you that that is a direct line. And people say, that's not true. It's like, you know, people say, oh, no, marijuana won't bring you to the next thing. It, it does bring you to the next thing if the marijuana no longer works for what you were using it for. And that's where the transition is. Right. It's that psychological leap of, wow, that's not working for me anymore. What's next? Yeah. What's right? next? What's that's, next? Yeah. Right. Once and, you set up that chain, that's a really difficult one to break. Right. Yeah. And, and, and people think, oh, no, because marijuana is so innocuous. Well, it's not innocuous to a young brain. It's less innocuous to an adult brain in terms of those right. factors. But when you look at that, what a shaper of, um, you know, you, you have a 13 or 14-year-old brain that hasn't developed and it's not going to be fully developed in all the lobes and all the things that it's supposed to sense and feel and think by until you're 23 or so. Right. Now you add in a chemical compound. Sugar does stuff, caffeine does stuff, all those things. But you add in a compound like THC yep. and the and the CBD properties that are the high making properties, not the ones that we use for creams and like just kind of anxiety um, reducing. But you add that in, it starts changing the neural pathway, so the development changes. And then you you know if you had ADHD, that's not going to help yeah. that. If you have an anxiety disorder, marijuana is one of the worst things that you can use for anxiety disorders and and it's you know you get people that for kids especially um but they are making i think i said this a while ago they are making strains of 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 more um relevant yeah um strains for each type of disorder sleeping yeah. anxiety because they're able to you know chemically take and move those molecules around but when you get generalized street marijuana it's so potent that you've got a kid who's not functioning fully yep. yet because their brain's not developed. And you start doing that. Now you're adding in to the manifestation of all the boundaries that weren't necessarily put in place, the self-soothing behaviors because the child has felt they're, they're missing something. Now you're going on and on and on. It's just adding and accumulating. Yep. And where else is the kid going to go by the time they're an adult? Usually that, pro usually that problem doesn't all of a sudden stop. No, And this is an incredibly important time. You're talking about 13 years old. Yeah. I make the joke all the time that teenagers are literally brain damaged. That's mm. the point. That's the pruning period of the brain. That's when the most rewiring and the most remodeling of the brain is happening. And yeah. to throw something like that into the mix, you're yes. just asking for trouble. Yeah, because it's inviting it. And, you can, and yeah. then of course, teenage years is the hardest time to convince a kid that this is bad for them because well, they Well, your executive they know function is totally diminished, right? Your, yeah. The executive part of your brain yeah. in a teenager is, again, closed for renovations basically. Right. And yeah. It, well, yeah, so you have, you know, technically speaking, you have the frontal lobe and the frontal lobe is where all that is, you know, the executive functioning, decision making, abstract reasoning, all those things are being developed at that time. That's the developmental period. And you start adding in a substance like THC and and or alcohol and or, you know, big, big doses of caffeine. You've got you're setting up for a lot of different developmental problems that become addiction neuropathways that keep them going and it's really hard you know especially if you're genetically loaded for that you know people some people don't go down that path they might try something once or twice and it's not a big yeah. deal but if you have a genetic load that's what i call it you know you're genetically 
parentally loaded for yeah. the for the addiction or for something and you've been modeled you know limited boundaries or crossing of boundaries and you're not really cognizant of what that means because you just know what you know you're taught this right. is okay yeah. well now you have no other thing to do but instant gratification self-soothe seek out the next best thing you know nothing is ever good enough you know you can't figure out what to do when you have downtime you know that's yeah. you, you know you have kids that always need to have entertainment director and it's you know what is that you know and I, and I find that it, it you know still holds true I have a whole bunch of kids in my practice that are it, one single child single children still are able to manage the self-soothing because they're one yeah it's when you have I see this more with multiples and of course it's a generalization because I mean there's certain kids that they have problems with singles but multiples in a family and if they don't have something entertaining them or you know they have downtime on their phone or they have you know the video game can't be played after 10 and they're like now what do I do I'm like read a book yeah color watch a movie because you can um you know write write something yeah and they look at you like why would i do that yeah and it's so foreign because there's no modeling for that because you know the adults are still doing their electronics the adults are still doing everything right. else but now the child is sitting there to their own devices and they don't know what to do because they've never been trained how to shift to go play with you know go play and make pretend in your head go do something that's you know or go you know during the day go outside right. and play they just it's need so more. They need more happen. and more stimulus. Right. They can't. It's, it's they can't self-generate stimulus. Right. They, they need it externally. I found it really interesting when we were talking about hoarding. Yeah. That you talked about the process of quote unquote emptying out the house as you know an empty house. Right. And the first thing that came to my mind was how many times we've all been through this where we've left either the place where we've grown up or we've moved out of an apartment or something, yeah. and you take that last look at the empty apartment, and how difficult that is. Yeah. You know, almost no matter what happened in there, it's difficult. Um, so this is the basis for all these addictions, right? That quote unquote emptiness. Yes. You know, facing that emptiness. What do yeah. I, what do I fill this with? Exactly. It's, yeah. it's that feeling of, it's the feeling of void yeah. or, or lonely or empty. And people often describe it as bored, Yeah. but it's not bored. I uh, see. I was going to ask you about that because I was going to use the word bored because from a food standpoint, it's what we're all dealing with right now. I'm dealing right. with it right now. You're just sitting there and it's seven or eight o'clock at night and you know, it's like, just grab something to eat you just right. it's just impulse right yeah and it's and you it's, need some sort of stimulus. stimulation yeah. right you know i i was actually contracted last night at 9 30 to make a batch of oatmeal raisin cookies for somebody in my house yeah. you know because i you yeah. know i know he's listening so <laughs> hey you know 9 30 last night i was making oatmeal raisin cookies because yep. he was bored yeah i don't know if he was really bored but you know it's it has that sense of like it was you know you want that little sweet thing in that moment but it's also to fill more often than not you know, in a passing, obviously that was more like making it. But when you're just walking through and you're like, huh, and you open up the refrigerator. And if you're opening up the refrigerator and you're standing there staring, it's likely you're not really hungry. You're just looking yeah. to fill something at that point. You know, it's funny. I get in the grocery store. I do this. I do. It's one of the awareness things that I'm most proud of. I get to the grocery store and I start wandering the aisles. This is probably pre-COVID. But I do it even a little bit now. There's a certain point in the trip where I'm saying to myself, you're just looking for something to buy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't need anything. You're just looking for something else to buy. Get the hell out of here. Right. You know, right. and it's kind of, you don't need something to, if you're staring at the refrigerator, you don't need something to eat. You're just looking for something to do. Right. You're just looking for something to do. That's, yeah. you know, it's, that's why it's, you know, if you can take something from this piece of the, the show about, you know, opening up the refrigerator and you're standing there, if you didn't have a point and you were going in to get 
your water, your Diet Coke, your tea, a piece of cheese, and you didn't have it in mind, and you're standing there, you probably should shut the refrigerator because it means that you're about to do the reinforcement of the addiction piece that you have, which is when I'm bored, lonely, tired, yeah. you know, disconnected, which yep. that's really what's going on now for eating and, and stuff, that you're going in there. That's what you're doing it for. Shut the refrigerator and walk away from it Be, and find something, a distractor. Go do something else. Go to bed. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. 1130 and you've come downstairs to get ice cream. It's probably not because you really are hungry for the ice cream. It's just that now it's, you know, you're racing in your head. You're thinking about what's going on. And, and, you, and, and this hit the news last night. And I've been talking about it a little bit, too, is, you know, increasing weight in my clients for the past couple of weeks because of this, because people are lonely, yep. disconnected, don't have anyone to talk to, and so on and so forth. People are increasing their drinking. You know, they have a, you know, a whole thing on relapse and people not relapsing into their drug addictions and they're doing AA meetings and NA meetings later in the evenings so that, you know, that's the, that's the time, that's the witching hour for people. Yep. During the day, people don't have as much time to think because <laughs> some people are still working, you know, from yep. home or they're going out and they are walking and doing other things. But by the time, like it's sundown. For most people, that's when people's brains start to think because there isn't, by nature, we don't have as much connection anyway. But now when we don't really have any connection and we're still looking at the same person in our in our view um, every single day, now is the time that, you know, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, you're sitting there going, now what do I do? Yeah. Now what do I do? Yeah. And so they go to those things, those self-soothers, and, and it puts, you know, it's a weight gainer, you yep. know, for, for the soft addiction uh, of, of eating and self-soothing, it's, it's a weight gainer. Yesterday, the way the schedule worked here, I didn't have to be here, and I was sitting there at a certain point in mid-morning, I said, I'm going in anyway, just to get out of the house yeah. and just go do it and have some semblance of routine and do some stuff and have some function. And then I went back home and built a raised garden bed. It's like, you know, just because I just... I can't operate like that. I can't right. be sitting there all day with nothing to accomplish. No right. purpose. You've used the word purpose before. Right. It's going to be a purpose. And I think, so going to that piece of when people are, you know, I know a lot of people have been um, very strict with their, their quarantine of themselves. Yeah. And I'm encouraging people, obviously, be respectful. Don't break the quarantine in terms of what you're not comfortable with in general. But you cannot go from your bed to your work chair to the bathroom, back to your work chair, to the kitchen, to your work chair, no. back to the, you can't, and never leave to go outside, never leave to go get a walk up and down the, you know, the, the one street, or get in the car 20 minutes and ride around and get fresh air, because, and pe some people are doing that, I don't find as many are doing that now, but talk about stress and anger and angst and resentment building up, that is creating you know, also, I'll eat more because I do that. Right. I'm going to self-soothe more because I'm anxious. And people are so anxious that if they go out, I mean, I have certain people in my life and certain clients that are, they think that if they go out, they're going to get COVID just by going outside. And it's like, that's not going to happen. Or if they're not wearing a mask, you know, immediately they're going to get it. That's yeah. not, that's not rational, realistic, and reasonable to think that. But they're so fear generated and threat generated that they can't get out of their own way. So what do they do? They go eat. Yeah. And that, then they go back to the not, chair. That's not my fear, though. My fear no, there is I'm going to go out and I'm going to get, you know, I'm, I'm going to get wrath. I'm going to incur wrath because right. I'm out. Right. You know, right. I, because I want to take a walk. I went to a Bob Lobster on Plum Island this weekend, which was packed, by the oh, way. Yeah. And it's like you just sit there and you all you start feeling guilty. Right. It's like, should I really be here? And it's like, screw that. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm going to be here. 
Right. So that's the thing for me. I'm, uh, you know, obviously we're all a little concerned and we don't want to get COVID. But for me, it's more about taking a walk or going out or taking a ride or walking downtown. You know, just, you know, people are going to start writing about you. You know, well, are so, people going to give you dirty looks? And and so I've seen that. I definitely have seen that. I you know I'm I was not. So I'm one of the people that, and I was saying this to you earlier. I'm going to get the looks because I have a very hard time wearing a mask because I have horrific allergies year round, but particularly mm-hmm. right now, and I have asthma since childhood, and I've been hospitalized multiple times for it. Yeah, severely. So for me to wear a mask, it traps. Anything yeah. in, it makes me quick to congest no matter what, and then I start having trouble breathing. Um, and I take all my inhalers and all that, but it's the trapping of it. Like even in the winter when people are out running, you know, yep. and they've got all the headgear on and all that, I don't wear turtlenecks. I don't wear because it constricts that whole area. So I'm going to be yeah. one of those people out there that I'm going to have to wear a sign. I'm medically not able to wear a mask <laughs> because, you know, yeah. I'm going to get the look and the the nasty commentaries and all that. And, you know, to save some of that, I'll certainly put it on for, you know, a five minute quick in and out. But yeah. the suffering that I incur for longer, you know, uh, you know, certainly if I'm going to fly somewhere or whatever, I'm going to make adjustments. Yeah. I've already done some adjustments around like more cloth things. I have this one. This is one that creates a problem for me, um, you know, but just being able to adjust for that yeah. because... Again, people should stay in their own lane. They don't know everybody's circumstances. I mean, I've seen people tape stuff on their kids, and you've probably seen this too. Like, I'm a single mom. I have to bring my child with me. They yep. can't be left at home. Like, the fact that you have to do that yeah. and and take care, you know, you have to wear a billboard of, like, why I'm not doing this or why I am doing that yep. just so that you don't get attacked. I mean, I, I definitely feel Park Ranger doing his job and, you know, doesn't deserve to ha- get punched or shot yep. trying to say everyone needs to stay six feet apart because he's been told that he needs to tell people that yep. you know we have to be able to be mindful of that and because there's some people that have certain things that they can't get yep. sick or you know and, and to feeling guilty i mean i feel guilty if i'm not wearing it sure but i also know that someone has to be able to look at me and go i wonder why she's not wearing it not because she's being a jerk yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, so I ask people to to sort of think. This is on anything, like, and it's sort of standard to my practice is when you're having an interaction with another person in general, try to think about where they're coming from before you judge or jump on it. Um, as a psychologist, you know, I try to take all the judgment away, and it's hard sometimes because we all have judgments and we all yeah. have prejudices and we all have our spaces. But you know, try to say, this is this person in a bad mood because of me probably not they don't even know me but is what's going on in their day to make them like that and not overreact or not have a, a meltdown yeah. or um not have something i mean because the the sugar that can be given might settle a situation versus you know someone getting all up in someone's business well that that's what i'm doing I've, i haven't worn a mask yet for myself right. or out of worry i've worn a mask because a a little respect you know social peer pressure <laughs> just not wanting you know, path of least resistance right right yeah right Right. And, 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 and we had talked about that at the beginning before we went on air that, you know, that doesn't mean you're, you're necessarily uh, compromising your integrity. It just means that you're being considerate. Um, you know, and, and I like you're it getting through your day. People, like you don't yeah. run through the red light. The red light is a rule. Yeah. <laughs> and we're be we could be, you know, we could run it. Yep. But it's, you know, there's certain things that have to go into place to just be considerate of everybody else. And, you know, there's people out there that want to run the red light and do. And there's people that don't want to obey the stop sign and roll right through it. And occasionally I do that, you know, because yep. I'm more in a hurry. I mean, yeah. so there's going to be times when you're going to wear the mask or you're not. But it's about really understanding that 
you know, it's, it's just there to protect people and be compassionate, kind, and just thinking about it, not necessarily compromising your integrity or, you know, you're right, you know, certainly. Because yeah. then, you know, who's, who's more right, the one that isn't or is? because they're wearing it or not it's it's just the choice that they're making but there's certain things that have to be there for compassion reasons in yeah. our minds when we judge so hopefully people will sort of wrap their head around that and and be mindful that they shouldn't be attacking each other out in the world i'm i'm a little concerned because i've seen some rev up in you know because today in massachusetts yeah. we started the 6th through the 18th of mandatory masks unless you're in a place where there's you know no social distancing issue which you know i think for the most part i mean unless you're going to home depot which oh that's packed yesterday or, uh, home yesterday depot, i was there, yep. there i'm like oh my god there's a lot of people because <laughs> i had uh, to build the raised garden bed i was there yesterday <laughs> right and, yeah. and you know or the grocery store or something like that but if you're out and you know certainly if you're yeah. running or something like that and you're there's no one around you know, Charlie Baker here. Market in Basket or Home fine. Depot. I'll put the mask on. Just why? Right. You know. Exactly. And Again, it, path of least resistance. But what does it say about me that now that it's mandatory today, I want to do it less? Well, because that's the psychological phenomenon yeah. of reactance. It's your yeah. free will being acted on that you, you know, it's like, it's like I put down, I put down a, a pizza in front of you and I leave the room and you're more inclined to take the piece if I'm not, if I haven't said anything. If I say, gee, Lou, you can have a piece. You won't do it as is likely because you, it's it's the opposite. It's the reactance piece. It's just you know with little yeah. kids, don't touch the piece of chocolate till I come back because you put it out there. They're like, hmm. You reminded me of the marshmallow experiment. Me. But if you don't say anything, it's like well now because it's your free choice, it's your free will psychologically. So it's yeah. it, it's the phenomenon of reactance. It's human nature that's what we do so the fact now that someone's saying you have to your immediate hardwired reaction is hmm mm, yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> plus i'm a new so, englander but yeah so it's in my blood yeah i'm genetically predisposed to re revolt a little bit well uh, and, and then so everyone is yeah because it's the free will piece of us and it's the reactance piece of us and, and no matter what culture because we're we're human beings but then we're socially trained yeah. into what we're supposed to do if someone says don't do that you're not supposed to do that you don't do it yeah. maybe <laughs> did you people. are you familiar or, with the marshmallow experiment you yes, just reminded I me am. of the marshmallow experiment yes exactly well that's i mean the sort of the frame of reference of the pizza or the chips or the you know it's yeah. those are all that's where the reactance phenomenon did was done for a lot of the research for it is to understand that process all right we've got a couple minutes we've talked yes. about uh quote unquote soft addiction yes. and we've talked about some of the mechanisms and some of the things that lead to this and how this all works how do we deal with it a couple tips so, well, there's so one of the things is be always aware of you know do you do you overdo on something you know what is it that you overdo on right people won't necessarily look for the why but being being in the moment in the present of I'm about to do blah 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 is it something that I should do right now be self aware yeah. that's key yeah right so because if you don't have that it's nothing else is going to come um, find distractors. Have a set plan of distractors. If you're an overeater, okay, when I go to overeat or when I go to eat something extra, okay, these are the three things I'm going to do instead. I'm going to call a friend. I'm going to listen to some music or I'm going to go outside for 10 minutes. But be really specific and write it down. I tell people to make sure that they have it visual. Yeah. Um, you know, 
refrigerator, put it right there. Like do, you know, don't eat out of boredom. Don't eat yeah. out of loneliness. So having that, I mean, those would be the two first top tips I would say for something like that. So vet your impulses, make yes. it, make you, make yourself, uh, justify the impulse. Exactly. Yeah. And right. And so that you, so that you're, you're staying aware and then you're talking to the awareness of it so that you're addressing it in that way. And, and then if you can generate, if you're really self-aware and you're self-savvy with that, generating a constant pattern of, I'm going to always do this to replace it. Because you can't stop one behavior without replacing it with another. Can't. Can't. Wow. So uh, people will tell you that they do. Like when someone says, oh, I, I cold turkey, you know, smoking. Yeah. Most people, the thing that they replace it with, they'll say that they didn't replace it. They just cold turkey. But they gained 10 pounds. Yeah. Why? Food. Because they went and started food. eating, yeah. but then they but they don't realize that that was the replacement behavior because it wasn't activated in their head as the replacement. You know, the replacement behavior. When I get people to help them stop smoking, I have them go buy natural cinnamon sticks and suck on them. The replacement behavior is to suck on a cinnamon stick instead of the the cigarette, so that you can extinguish the cinnamon stick after a while because it will go away and the yeah. replacement behaviors will kind of fall underneath and they won't be the unhealthy ones. So, but people can't just cold turkey something. They'll think they are, but it's really, a, there's a replacement behavior somewhere in there that yeah. they don't realize. Why not pick one that you can actually choose that yeah. you want? So, so that's, I, and I don't usually say can't or never, yeah. but I, I thought that was an interesting, was an interesting and strong statement. Right. So, yeah. so addiction, and I'm, and there'll be people that will say that that's not their, you know, psychological theory, but my experience and my psychological research is, and working with addiction is people stay in recovery with a good replacement behavior that's active and aware. Like you asked for a technique, right? So there. That's funny you say that because what I'm seeing in my mind right now, we talked about it last week, is the STEP program. Yeah. That's the replacement behavior. Right. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so the replacement, and and, and that's what pe people don't realize, that it could be any kind of thing. So replacement all behavior, these... people just think, oh, we'll replace yeah. with something else, like the same thing. It's not. It's If I'm an addict of, of a certain type, I can go to a group and a support group to replace the craving that I had so I can get now, yeah. you know, plugged into something else that's healthier for me. There's the steps, there's the group, that. and by a large percentage, at least in my experience, people who recover go into counseling recovery. Yes, yes. It's, it's, that's the replacement behavior. Right. Yeah. And, so, and so, that, so I am a replacement behavior. My service is a replacement behavior for many people around many different things. Sure. Um, and then I teach more replacement behavior during the time of them using me as the replacement behavior, then I teach more so they can go away from me. So I'm not then becoming a codependent. Um, right. I'm an in interdependent instead and in teaching the other things. So yes. So thinking broad strokes about what a replacement behavior is, because you need to have a replacement behavior. If you're not going to keep eating, what are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to exercise. You're going to draw. You're going to color. You're going to read. You're going to call a friend. You're going to sing. Whatever it is. So justify the impulse. Yeah. Have a plan for, yes. to replace the behavior. And stay and stay aware. Yeah. Right. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. What am huh. I going to do now? I got to come up with a replacement behavior for grabbing a handful of trail mix every ten minutes at home. You're grabbing a. a, a Seems like it. Yeah. Well, so so 
there's there's lots of things you can do there is more is is when you do it try to grab less initially so instead of doing one fell swoop just grab a little less be cognizant and aware that you you tend to grab a whole handful so next time you go you're only going to grab like a finger full so you're actively making a change in the behavior so that it's not because it's harder to do it when you go i'm not going to do it anymore yes you are Yep. No, I know. <laughs> oh, yes, you are. Yeah. So anyway, all right. So the time on the wall says yes. that we are done for today. This was a fun show. And again, thank you to all the frontline workers out there and all the people that I missed saying thank you to. I do thank you. And I'm sure that there's people out there uh, that need thanks for yeah. things that go unseen and unheard and Hell, so on so grocery forth. store workers. And the gro- yes, the grocery store Those people. workers. Yeah. Yes, and Can be imagine nice. what they're seeing on a day-to-day basis. Be nice to the grocery store yeah. workers. You know, don't give them a hard time if they don't have their their gloves on every single second or their mask. You know, they're standing yeah. there for ten and twelve hours a day serving you. Give them give them four seconds to have like a little time and yeah. and, and it's don't not be... their fault. There's no flour left. Right, exactly, <laughs> right, or that they you know yeah. did whatever they did or they don't yeah. have change or whatever. So all right, so you guys have a fantastic week, and I will see. you. Oh, and happy Mother's Day. Oh, happy Mother's happy Day! Happy Mother's right? Day. Yeah everybody and have a great week you guys i'll see you next week on your daily game face